This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to midweek episode 12 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hi guys. So tonight, our special guest is going to be Derek Hayes from Monsters Among Us podcast. Yes. He's also a regular on the TV show Paranormal Caught on Tape. Which is a great show. Actually, that's wrong. It's paranormal caught on camera. Oh, camera! I keep yeah. saying tape, tape. And, it's, and it's funny because I don't remember. I don't. I don't think it was part of what we recorded. Uh-huh. But um, when I said something to, to Derek, I was like, "Man, I keep forgetting whether it's caught on tape, caught on camera." He said, "I make the same mistake." He said, "I even made it there one oh. time." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah. Derek's going to be on. This will be the first night of the midweeks for a while that we didn't don't have. The Fear of the Week with the author Leslie Fear on, and that's because we've moved her to Thursday. Well, there you go. So, so like I said, it'd be cool. So, a couple of small stories or what have you um, before then, and then, you know, that night, and then we'll do the Fear of the Week, and then we'll do the same thing on these nights, and there you go. And then, you know, obviously, last night, you heard the debut of our Paranormal Encounters, where it's all listener type stories mm-hmm. and brian's story was absolutely incredible so what, <laughs> what a way to start off when we got several more coming out for you good i can't wait all right this story tonight we're gonna do it's a very cool story it's one of those stories that's not really scary i mean i guess to a certain extent it is but it's more of a feel-good story as far as i'm concerned and you'll see what i mean when we get into it this is a story of flight 401 are you familiar with this story no sir on December 29, 1972, an Eastern Airlines jumble jet crashed into the Florida Everglades. Mm. 101 passengers were killed. Luckily, 70 people were able to walk away from the uh, uh, crash, okay? Mm-hmm. The crash happened because of a minor design flaw, at least that's what the airline said, that made a landing gear warning light come on inside the plane and when that happened, um, Captain Robert Loft was trying to deal with that because he thought there was a landing gear problem, which there really wasn't. But he was trying to deal with that, and during the midst of that, it caused the plane to crash. Oh, crap. Where is his co-pilot? Well, interesting you say that, because during, <laughs> during all this, his co-pilot was there trying to work on it, too, and his co-pilot is actually a very big case of this. So Captain Loft, let's talk about him first. He was not killed instantly. Unfortunately, he was trapped in the cockpit and died about an hour later. Okay, I'm not getting the feel-good story of this yet. His co-pilot, second officer Don Repo, how about that for a cool oh, name? Oh, gosh, yeah. Don Repo, was pulled from the burning wreckage and passed away about 30 hours later at the hospital. So we said that there was a minor design flaw that caused this, this problem and caused the plane to crash. Well, Eastern Airlines decided 
that there was plenty of good parts left on this plane after they gathered it all together that could still be salvaged. So, I mean, like motors and stuff yeah. like that. And some of these parts from Flight 401 were used on other planes within Eastern Airlines fleet. It, it would appear that Captain Loft and Captain Repo may have had some attachment to some of those parts that were used. They had a tendency to keep showing up on flights. The first flight actually involved an Eastern Airlines vice president. So here's what happened here. He was sitting in first class, and there was a pilot in uniform sitting right next to him. He starts looking at the guy and looking at the guy, and then it suddenly dawns on him that this pilot looks a lot like Captain Loft. And at that point, the captain vanished into thin air. Holy moly. Now, Repo, he made appearances as well. One time there was a woman on a flight. She was sitting next to an Eastern Airline officer. She noticed that he began to lose all of his color and he really started looking like maybe he was sick. So she called for the flight attendant. As the flight attendant got over there to the seats, Repo vanished right in front of her and several other witnesses. Whoa. Later, the woman was able to pick Repo out of a series of pictures of Eastern Airline employees. Oh, my gosh. So this is where it gets serious, though. So keep in mind that I didn't mention this before, but but all of the stories took place from 1972 to 1974. So it was a two-year period, right after the wreck. This story takes place aboard a plane at JFK Airport. Captain Loft appeared aboard a plane to talk to the pilot and two flight attendants. The pilot felt this was some kind of an omen, so he canceled the flight. No kidding. This might have been a wise decision, because in February of 1974, a flight engineer saw Repo's face reflection in the glass of an oven door that was used to heat up the in-flight meals. Repo told the engineer to watch out for a fire on the plane. Soon after the plane took off from Mexico, one of the engines caught on fire and it had to be put out mid-flight. How do they do that? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. So what happened next? Well, it, it, it seemed like that they were just... Trying to be helpful at times. Yeah, when you think about that's it. amazing. So on one flight, Repo came. Um, he came on the intercom, and he did the pre-flight uh, safety checklist. You know, put on yeah. this and your safety device or your float seat can be a flotation. Oh, yeah. He did that, which was really surprised the flight attendants because they hadn't even turned on the intercom yet. <gasps> on that same flight. The engineer conducting the final flight checks saw Repo at the control panels. Repo told him, oh, there's no need to do the final checks. I've already done them. <laughs> <laughs> On a different flight, Repo told the captain that, and I quote, there will never, never be another crash. We will never let that happen. Wow. So they obviously were looking out for the flights. Oh, my gosh. But not for long. Oh, no. After getting numerous reports of seeing these two officers on planes, they removed all of the Flight 401 parts from any of the planes that they had. And then Captain Loft and Repo 
were never sighted again on Eastern Eastern Airline planes. But why? I don't know. You would have thought that that they were protecting them and warning them and all that stuff. Why would you do that? I guess most people wouldn't see it that way. Most people were just scared. Oh, whoa! That is a great story. But that's what I mean about the scare, the the feel good story is the fact that they were actually trying to prevent anything from happening. I like that story a lot. So, but I'm like you. I either want to be in the black box. Or have those two <laughs> on the plane with me. I don't know how big you think this black box is. but well, I don't know, but it always survives. So <laughs> just squeeze me on in. So anyways, that was a nice little fun story to start off with. It was. It was a really good story, honey. So let's go ahead and uh, listen to Derek Hayes from Alrighty. Monsters Among Us. Hey, guys. I have a special, special guest tonight. I know every guest is special as far as we're concerned, but... This is one that we've kind of been working on for a couple of months ever since we kind of met for the first time back at CryptidCon in Lexington. We have Derek Hayes, host of Monsters Among Us on. Derek, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to it, too, because, uh, like I said, you're actually one of the bigger uh, podcasts out there, and we've had a lot of them on, but you're, you're one that we haven't had on yet. And as well, you've also uh, are... Get some little bits and pieces where uh, you are on a television show, which is uh, Paranormal Caught on Camera. Tell us a little bit about that show for, for people who haven't uh, seen it. Sure. Well, it's a travel channel uh, television program. Uh, we run weekly. It's like an hour-long program. But basically, it's uh, kind of like a TV version of my show. People will submit different videos of ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, that kind of thing. And essentially, there's a handful of us panelists, I don't know what you want to call us, talking heads, essentially, that uh, we sit and comment on the, the different videos, and they don't really let us debunk or anything like that, but we add you know history to it and uh, sightings that are similar, that kind of thing, that you know, we can tie it all together. So there's, uh, I'm trying to think of who else is on there. Uh, last podcast from the left, there's a couple guys from there, um, Sapphire Sandalo's on there, Susan Slaughter's on there with me, so there's some pretty big names there. Yeah, it's it's a it's a cornucopia of, of big names out there in the field. So it's fun too. It's a fun it's a fun time. So let me let me ask you this. I always love the behind the scenes stuff, and, and that was the first thing I asked you when we started talking back at CryptoCon. Tell everybody listening, just so they have uh, a, a little bit of background on these shows. So if they haven't seen the show, and it and it's by far one of my favorite paranormal shows out there i don't get into the ghost hunting shows really um but i really love this show and i love i don't know if you've seen this one or not but it's called strange evidence but i'm not familiar with that one yeah and i can't even remember what channel it comes on maybe history channel but you can catch it on uh, like dvr and stuff but it's it's a similar show but it's more of a debunking type show so they'll show your show shows a clip and then they'll have um, a couple of the podcasters come on and talk somewhat about the clip, but more about the situation. So, you know, mm-hmm. hey, in this situation, that situation, this is what happens. And it's a really fun show. Uh, I caught it the first time we were actually down in Houston getting ready to do our live event. And uh, that was the first time I'd ever seen the show. So that was back in May. And it's been one of my favorites ever since. But the clips come on, they show it, and then they have you guys come on and give expert, I guess, uh, uh, or, you know, <laughs> accounts <laughs> of what's going on. Don't quotes there in expert. But yeah. 
Well, you know, it's hard for anybody to be an expert when it comes to like the paranormal because you got some people say, I can be an expert in something that don't exist. And other people is like it 100 percent exists and they are experts. So it's one of those deals. We, we all know that it's everything is air quotes, like you said, but it, it is a slippery slope. Yeah. So you they play the clip and then you guys give some analysis, basically. And uh, but tell us how that works, Derek. You were telling me a little bit about, you know, you get you get this gig. They say you they want you to do this. So how is it set up? Do they send you the clips ahead of time for you to see? Do you go to a studio and watch it together? How does that work? Well, you know, when I first started with the show, I thought for sure I would go in there and they'd have a big monitor set up and I could just talk about all these videos. But the magic the, the magic of television just doesn't really work that way. It would take hours upon hours just to shoot my segment, let alone the three or four other people they have scheduled that day. So essentially what they do is they mail or they email me a list of all the clips and a few of the questions, the kind of information they want to touch on. So it gives me like a day or two to to research it. So then I have to – it's like college all over again. I have to cram it all in my head and remember every little thing about each of these videos. And they'll say, oh, UFO over Russia. And I have to immediately remember what that video looked like and then talk about it. So it's actually pretty difficult, but I think everybody on the show does a pretty good job. How many clips would you say you have to watch at one time for to get ready for a filming? Uh, we do usually two episodes per filming at about – 15 to 20 clips per episode, I would say. So we're looking at about 30 to 40 clips, something like that. You know, I, I try to watch, when I watch two or three episodes in a row, I try to watch and see who's wearing the same clothes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're way ahead of you there. They make us wear the same wardrobe throughout the entire season. So uh, in my beard growth will kind of tell you where <laughs> the different episodes were filmed. That's like the benchmark there. So a gig like that, it's is it as easy once you found out you were going to get it is it as easier or harder than you thought it was going to be um that's a good question actually and it's there's multi layers to this there's parts of it that were way easier than i thought it wasn't a big deal they were super nice they're like oh sit down talk and then get out of here like it's super easy but the nerve side of it that's something i didn't take into account you know when they asked me to do it i i'd been I'd been on television before. I've done some things. I worked in film for 10 years, so I'm actually in a few movies, but I'm all dressed up. Nobody's going to know it's me, so that's easy to do. When you kind of put yourself out there like that, it's much more difficult to uh, wrangle your nerves, so to speak. And it's not like a podcast where if I screw up right now, I could say, hey, Jerry, can we back up five minutes and fix what I just said? When you're down there, like there's a whole room full of people. There's a two-hour window. you got to get all this stuff done. So the pressure's really on, and if you're not used to sitting in that seat, it takes its toll. But I, I think I've sat in there maybe, I'd say close to 30 times by this point. Or we've done 30 episodes of this, let's say it that way. So, you know, I'm getting more and more comfortable with it. So it's not uh, as terrifying as it was for me at the beginning. Now, what about the other guests that they have on? Are, are they coming to that same studio, or are they recording all around the country, wherever they may be located at? Well, the recording... I believe all over the country. I know they have different recording sessions in New York City, uh, and they do ours here in L.A. Um, I know Susan and uh, Sapphire both shoot here in L.A., but I think pretty much everybody else is is East Coast. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast, Monsters Among Us. Very, very wildly popular show. Uh, tell us a little bit about how long the show's been on now and uh, what got you started into doing the actual podcast. 
Well, I think I'll be hitting my fourth year in March, if I'm remembering correctly, either fourth or fifth. As you know, time flies when you start doing these things. Yes, it does. And and you have a short memory. Like once last week's out of the way, like I couldn't even tell you what last week's episode was about. It's all this week. Um, So, yeah, I've been doing it about four years. It's really started to pick up over like the last year and a half, something like that. But essentially, I knew everybody had a story. Like I've been into the paranormal since I was a little kid. I had some experiences and it's just fascinated me. And I'm the kind of person that's always observing and always absorbing information as much as possible. And I kind of just accumulated all these facts and ideas about the paranormal. And after a while, I just decided I needed some sort of media outlet to do it. And I thought, well, you know, I've never heard a podcast that's kind of like the way I do it. It's like a, more like a TV show, I would say. So uh, with my TV background, I thought, well, I can just do the, a podcast version of like Unsolved Mysteries or something along those lines. So I started playing around with it. And what I came out with, I just dumped it to see if somebody liked it. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the seat talking to you today. So I'm not real sure how I even got here, but uh, I'm thankful that I did. Yeah, the fact that you're talking to me today seems to suggest that it's backsliding some, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought maybe you guys were struggling the fact that you brought me and like really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. <laughs> So let me ask you this. You said you had some experiences, uh, paranormal experiences. Uh, do you care to share any of those? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I talk about them all the time on the show. And and just like other people that listen to the show, I remember things that I've completely forgotten about as I'm listening to other people's stories. So it actually happens to me the same way it happens to other listeners. They'll be listening and somebody will mention like a, a Native American ghost. I'm like, oh, yeah, I had I witnessed a Native American, a Native American ghost when I was a kid in Florida. So something along those lines. But the actual experiences that got me started when I was about, I want to say around 10, I really don't know what the age is, but me, my brother, and a friend of ours did a little exploring in the woods behind my dad's house in southeast Ohio. And while we were back there, we saw an ABC, an alien black cat or alien big cat. Uh, I always call them alien black cats for some reason. (laughs) But um, we saw it as plain as day across the hillside. It was the body on this thing was almost four feet long, had the big, long tail that we can remember. And uh, we were excited, obviously, like we'd never seen anything like that before. So we kind of tried to cut it off and it got away. You know, it's a big cat. It's it's going to evade three 10-year-olds. Well, we got home and, and told my dad about it. And I'll never forget this. He, he looked at me straight in the eye and he wasn't lying. He said, you know, I saw that thing last week. And my immediate thought, even as a 10-year-old kid, was, why are you allowing us to run around down in the woods when you know this predator is down there <laughs> kind of situation? Like, it didn't even dawn on him that this was a safety issue, I guess. I, it was the 80s, a different time. <laughs> yep. I mean, we the lights would – the sun would come up. We would leave the house, and we would be back, I don't know, two hours after sundown, and nobody would even ask where we went kind of situation. And, and I don't think kids get to grow up that way anymore, and it's it's a shame. Definitely not. So uh, I have a few other ghostly experiences, too, that I, I'm happy to touch on if you'd like to hear about those as well. Absolutely. That's what I, I love to get our guests on here to talk about their shows and stuff like that. But I also love to hear their uh, their personal stories. That's kind of our little niche on here. Yeah. OK. Well, this one, it's the Native American that I was talking about. My uh, my grandparents retired from Ohio. My, my grandfather was chief of police for who knows how long, a long time. And they retired to Jacksonville, Florida in a little trailer court. Well, we went down to visit, and uh, if anybody's been in a, a trailer, they know there's a, a long hallway on one side or the other, and in bedrooms on the on left side, usually, or whichever side you're facing. 
So every time I would walk by this particular spare bedroom that just had a day bed in it, and a, like a wardrobe or something, it was empty. I would see the a full figure of a Native American, full headdress, um, different colors, just doing a dance. I mean, arms waving, head moving, feathers flying everywhere. And I would see it out of my peripheral. The second I turned my head, there would be nothing there. But the first couple of times, I thought, man, that's really weird. So I started saying stuff to other people when the, that were visiting. Uh, my parents were there. My brothers were there. And nobody knew what I was talking about. But the entire visit, I probably saw it six, seven times and never got to the bottom of what the situation was. But on the last night that we were there, something strange actually took place. My dad woke up in the middle of the night, and he said there was somebody running on top and on the sides of the trailer, running in circles around it, like you feel the footsteps, like gravity didn't exist, essentially. So everybody got up and, you know, we're looking out the, the window with flashlights, that kind of thing, trying to figure out what was, you know, driving around or running around up there, and, and nobody really figured it out. So uh, <laughs> luckily enough for, I guess, me as a 10-year-old, uh, I slept through that that event right there. So uh, it didn't scar me as much as it did a couple of the other kids that were there. I, I can tell you this. I almost feel like we could just retire this show now. Because in the last two weeks, we've now had a haunted double-wide and a haunted single-wide trailer. After me never hearing a story about a mobile home or a double-wide being haunted, I've heard them both now within two weeks. And, you know, I, 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 I'd lived in a double-wide when I was uh, just graduated high school and I hadn't gone to college yet. And I was looking for a place, looking for a place. And I found this, uh, this single-wide trailer that was dirt cheap. So I rented it for like six months until I went to school or, or something along those lines. And I wouldn't say it was haunted, but it was creepy. There was something super creepy about that place, and I just don't know what it was. And I've had relatives, you know, I grew up in southeast Ohio, and it's like, I would say that's the mecca of trailers, but I've been to places like Oklahoma and Arkansas. They're everywhere. Everybody has trailers. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but I know a lot of people that live in them, and I swear everyone I've gone to just has that weird, creepy vibe to it. I don't know what that is, but uh, yeah, you're right. I, I I haven't heard a lot of quote-unquote haunted trailers let's put it that way well a lot of it obviously probably in that situation with your grandparents probably had to do more with the land than the actual home i would that was my thought exactly it was a big flat area with like a stream that went through and a a pond that uh, i assume the pond wasn't natural but there was probably a spring there that feeds it Uh, so it may have been like a camp an encampment of some sort now, see, that sounds like an ideal place to live now. We, I was telling you before we came on, we're actually looking at some places in Florida for down the road. But, I mean, I found a, I found a retirement little village because, you know, Tracy's old, so she can get us into these places now. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I found this little retirement village. And, I mean, it's got a lake with a little island in the middle of it and, you know, all that. And I'm like, man, this just seems like heaven to live in a place like that. So Yeah, yeah, until you find a gator. Yeah, that's true. I'm not really fond of those. <laughs> One of those six-foot eastern uh, diamondbacks. There's some scary stuff down there. It's like miniature Australia, Florida is. Yeah, that's the last thing I need is, is uh, miniature Australia because everything there kills you. Um, that's right. <laughs> so, Derek, you, you've you sent us a clip, a gentleman by the name Randy that had uh, uh, called in a story to your show. I want to go ahead and uh, play that clip, and then we'll get some discussion from you right afterwards. Sounds good. But first, a quick break from our sponsor. Hey. Well, uh, my name's Randy from uh, Washington State, and I listen to your podcast. I figured I'd chime in a little bit. Stories from back in 2005, me and my cousin were up hunting 
on the border of Washington, Idaho, Canada. And um, we're about mm, 23 miles from the closest town. And we're about six miles away from anybody near where we were at. We were up just trying to see some deer, deer season. Went down an old, old, old logging trail. Hadn't been used in a long time. And we knew it up was an old pond. And down the left side of it was like a hill drop. And it kind of circled up towards us. And we sat in that area for a little while. And on the right side of us was a hill. And we were sitting there for a little while and some uh, does popped up. And probably about 20 minutes, the little does were still hanging around in front of us, less than 50 yards. And down below us, we could hear branches breaking down below us. And it kept coming towards the left and started crawling up that hill. And as it got towards the top of the hill, we heard a growling screech like we've never heard before. And me and him are both pretty familiar with bears, wolves, cougars, all that jazz. And um, those deer went running right by us. And I mean, within feet, like we weren't even there. And at the same time, we could hear what sounded like giant footsteps running on the hillside. Just boom, boom, boom. But the strides had to be really big. And we could hear, I mean, some big logs, old rotten logs breaking at the same time. Just because of the distance it covered. We went up there to see if we could see what it was. Never got a sight of it. Saw some big imprints, but nothing that was definite on what it might be. But it kind of freaked us out because I've never seen a deer run by us like that before. So we decided to hightail it out of there. We went about two miles away. And uh, this was another big bull, I guess you could say. Dove down in this bull. And we get down there and we see something that's a little odd looking. Something that we've never seen before. And it was this half-built teepee built around big tree. And it was probably about eight feet tall. Uh, I'm six foot and it was taller than what I could reach. On the inside of it was hundreds and hundreds of bones. And what we could recognize was part of a cougar leg, a couple of deer bones, skull of a moose. To this day, we had no idea what it was. I mean, it was all pretty fresh, and it reeked. That entire area was a smell I hadn't smelled before, a mixture of decomposing and something else. But it was pretty weird to see all those bones all lined up like that. And then, so, of course, you know, we go into town trying to find out what the deal is about that area. So we talked to a couple of locals. And I won't say where because they don't like it, but a guy said, uh, they don't talk about that stuff in town, but I asked where it was and all he said that there's been a lot of sightings of some big creatures up in that area and everybody stays out of there, which would probably suggest why we never saw anybody around there. And what was interesting, less than six months later, we went back up there and uh, the whole area had been uh, logged out and that whole bone pile was gone. So hope you enjoy it. Thank you. All right, so that was Randy's story. Obviously, it uh, something you've probably heard a lot of uh, of people seeing something. Then when they go back to try to get a second look or take people back, it's it's not exactly there anymore. Um, what what was your take on that story? Yeah, you're exactly right. I I do hear about that kind of thing a lot, where people will discover something strange and then finally gather enough people to go back and look and it's either disappeared or the area has been altered. And it's actually happened to me once. I did a lot of, I'll call it urban exploring, but I was in the middle of nowhere, Southeast Ohio, like Amish country. And I found a church that was probably, this was in the nineties. And then it was probably close to 150 years old. And we kind of explored it. We didn't do a lot of beanie and stuff like that. We looked in windows and if the door was open, we'd poke our head in, but we wouldn't go inside a lot of these places. But this place was fascinating. 
And uh, so we visited, and I wanted to come back. And I, to this day, even with Google Maps, I still can't find this church. I have no idea how we found it. It was just one single dirt road, and it's gone. So <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I wrote something down wrong or what the situation was. But uh, yeah, you're right. I hear about these things all the time, and it's really strange. So let me ask you this. Um, you guys, you and, you and your wife did a hot sauce challenge on uh, Facebook Live a couple weeks ago. We did. It was fascinating. I thought it was very – I'm sure it's probably still up. Uh, I think it was, was – was that in your uh, group? Was that or, or the Facebook page? Yeah, yeah. I believe it's on our Facebook page. It's probably there in perpetuity. It's probably there forever now at this point. I would advise people if if you're not a member of the of the page, go sign up for the page and, and check this out because it was really cool. So you guys patterned this off of a show that you watch on YouTube. What's the name of the show? It's called Hot Ones. A guy named Sean Evans does interviews with all these celebrities, sports stars, rappers, singers, that kind of thing, and they have to eat uh, hot wings that progressively get hotter as they go along. And the questions get more and more difficult as they go along as well. And they're, everybody's flustered and they surprisingly tell the truth just because they're in pain and they want to get out of it. So they're like, oh, yeah, I hate this celebrity or I hated this movie. So they, they give a really genuine interview. So I thought that was kind of a fun way for me to do it. And it turns out I'm really good at hot sauce. So I wasn't as flustered as I was hoping I was going to be. But uh, Sarah, my wife, she had a difficult time. Yeah, she, she apparently was very upfront in the fact that she doesn't do well with hot sauce to begin with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She she thinks sriracha is hot, so. Yeah. <laughs> so you you did this, and I, I watched it. It was about 40, 45 minutes. Very entertaining. And a lot of the questions they were you were getting off of, people were knew you were going to be doing this, so they were writing their questions in off Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. and, and all that. But one of the questions asked would, would have been the exact question I would have asked you, out of all these calls you've taken over the years, and you readily admit that you sit and just listen to hours of these things, what what is the one call or is there one call that just stands out to the point of it's just right there, number one? Number one call. Uh, in regards to creepiness, my favorite, I guess it's going to be different for every one of those categories we want to narrow it down just a little bit for me yes let's say um is there is there one that just sends chills down your spine every time you hear it there is that that, and i call it the one that made me quit for the night and you're right i'll sit down i get i don't know 100 submissions a week something i couldn't even tell you a lot i get a lot of submissions so my free time i'll just sit down in my studio here and turn out the lights put some spooky music on and just listen to these calls one after another one after another and they really don't affect me. I can get through them. I, I, I Working down here in my basement, I can walk outside, go upstairs, no problem. It's a little creepy sometimes, but for the most part, it's not a big problem. But there was one call, and I can't remember the guy's name, and I can't remember where it was from. But he was driving with his son, who was probably two in the back seat. And all of a sudden, the son yells out, look at all those people. They're just standing around. And the father looks over, and they're parked next to a cemetery. And the little kid's just staring out the window at the cemetery. And as if that wasn't freaky enough, it's the kind of cemetery where all the stones are flush to the ground. So the little kid can't even see the tombstones necessarily. To him, it just looks like a field of of grass. But the kid said there was a field of people just standing there. They didn't know where to go. And just the hearing that kind of a message from that 
kind of an innocent person, just, I don't know, it really sent chills down my spine and, and I closed the computer and I just went upstairs and started watching something happy on TV. Cause that one really got to me for some reason. Uh, I don't know if it's, it might have something to do with like, uh, life after death, that kind of thing. Like I've lost a lot of people in my life recently. So maybe, maybe there's some sort of emotional touch there or something, but it, it definitely spoke to me. Now on the flip side, I also heard you saying that you have you've had calls in the past not to not to quote unquote call anybody out but you've had some calls in the past that you had trouble believing were on the complete up and up but you have a couple of things that you look for in calls that that may tip you off that the caller might not be 100% truthful yeah, I kind of have like a checklist that I go through, and I'm, I'm gonna. It's gonna be terrible for your interview, but I don't disclose that checklist for the very reason that I don't want people to know how to sure. you know, circumvent it. But what I can tell you, like, uh, I am public with one, like my my Bigfoot encounter uh, checklist. If if an encounter involves every single aspect of a Bigfoot encounter, they didn't have a Bigfoot encounter, in my opinion. Like, you're not gonna hear a knock, hear a whoop smell something strange, see a tree structure, find a footprint, then see the creature, then find hair. You're not going to do all that stuff. You're going to have one, two, maybe three of those elements at one time, and that's about it. Anybody that says they've had more, I just don't believe them. Yeah, I mean, I can completely understand that because it does seem like that when you start getting all the aspects, I mean, I'm the same way when it comes to the paranormal, you know, if somebody, oh, yeah, I went, you know, like, for example, uh, we went to a haunted location and there was a, I won't name the location because I don't want to tip the person off that I felt that way. But there was, there was a person there that claimed to be a medium. And it's like every situation, oh yeah, I'm seeing this person. I'm seeing, and I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the crime being committed. Now I'm seeing this and now I'm getting a name and now I'm getting this. And now there's a different person. And it was just so much that I'm like, <laughs> you know, I've seen some of the top mediums in the world and they didn't have that much information. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that somebody has to be a top medium that's on TV or something to be able to have that access to information, because I don't think that's the case. I think there's plenty of people that, you know, you would never know that gets this information, but if they're very vocal about it and it almost screams, Hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. It makes me very skeptical. I feel the exact same way. You know, the more they talk, the less I believe them kind of situation. And that doesn't necessarily go for my calls. Uh, some some like extremely lengthy calls are some of the most believable cases. But uh, as far as like you're saying, the psychics just throwing out all this information. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that as well. Whereas if somebody said one thing, like, I don't know how I got this information, but the guy that died here was a plumber. And we look it up and he was a plumber. That 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 to me holds a lot more water than anything the other person said. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's just, if they make it seem like it's just too easy, like that's they right. can just have a regular conversation like you and I are having, that's probably not the case. You know? Yeah. But, and people can get information from you know libraries, from government records. Like uh, A psychic can reach, research this house, get all the information they need, and then just come and regurgitate it on scene. Uh, you know, And a lot of times I feel like that's what people with a lot of information probably do. Yep, I agree 100%. So let me ask you this. You delved a little bit 
into another business that's semi-related and started Cryptid Crate, which is absolutely phenomenal. We've talked about it on here a time or two. Uh, but tell me a little bit about Cryptid Crate, how that service works, and, and, and what you get. Well, sort of the same way I ended up with this podcast. Uh, I wanted a box subscription service for fans of cryptozoology, fans of, of the paranormal. So I looked everywhere. I thought, surely somebody's got something out there. And, of course, it didn't exist. So I hem-hawed around about it for probably a year, hoping somebody else would do it because I really didn't want to. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> uh, but nobody did. So I'm like, well, fine. I guess I'll do it. And I'm uh, I'm an artist, too. I'm a mixed-media artist. So I create different uh, Bigfoot pieces and uh, Fiji mermaids and stuff like that. So I thought, well, I can make some art and include it in a box. I had no idea that 250 people would sign up for this thing. I thought maybe 30 people would be interested and it'd just be a fun little club that I put together. So at this point, like I said, we have about 250 subscribers. We do uh, monthly. Uh, it's a $40 box and you get like $80 to $90 worth of, uh, of cryptic goodies, T-shirts, hats, uh, books, autographed books, DVDs, pins, you, you, know, you name it. If I can fit it in the box, I do. You know, when I got the first one, I was like, man, I couldn't imagine the amount of effort. And I've gotten a couple of different subscription boxes. Same same for them. I just can't imagine the amount of effort that goes into starting something like that from, from getting different people who want to contribute to it, to the making the stuff like you do on, on some of the stuff, to the shipping, the, the, the getting the boxes made and, and keeping up with who gets it. And send, I mean, that's got to be a lot of, of, uh, headache and not headache in a bad way, but you know, to make sure that you're given the best customer service you can, that's got to be a lot of work. It's, it, I'll be honest with you, it's pretty hard because there is a lot of work that goes into it. And the fact that we live up here in the mountains, that, you know, kind of makes it even harder on us. We have weather problems, uh, shipping delays because of distance and people having to drive up a mountain. So, you know, there's a lot of things in our way to, to succeed here. But despite all that, we've really seemed to uh, uh, kind of hang on here and, and make a little niche. Um, you know, of course, we, we are late every once in a while. We were actually put our crate out today. It was supposed to go out the second and we had a, a shipping delay, but if anybody's listening that's a subscriber, your crate just went out this morning, so you should be getting that pretty soon here. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of work, but man, is it rewarding. I, I get a crate myself, and I, I really enjoy it. So, uh, you know, it's rewarding to help out other artists. There's tons of really talented uh, artists in the paranormal field that, that just aren't getting exposure, and, and we can help a little bit, you know, get at least 250 people to see this, plus whoever sees it on Instagram, but... Uh, any little bit we can do to help, we, we try to do it. All right. You are along the lines of me in, in some areas when it comes to paranormal shows. What do you watch on TV that's paranormal or cryptic related? And what kind of stuff do you not watch? I, I guess I'll be honest in saying that I pretty much watch everything, uh, even the stuff that I don't like uh, or I try to. The way I look at it is every aspect of my my financial life, everything I do to make money, is somehow involved in cryptozoology or paranormal in general. So to me, it it makes a lot of sense to to soak up as much information as possible, even even bad and wrong information, because other people are regurgitating this information. I need to be able to recognize it and say, oh, well, that's where you got that information. Well, let me tell you, this show is completely ridiculous. It's all the, the producers have taken this one over or, or vice versa, the other side of the coin, you know, you heard this from 
this show or whatever. I'm like, oh, that's a reputable show. Like that's that's probably information that uh, that could be valuable. What about um, the cryptid side of things? Are there? Do you believe in most cryptids, or is it just like anything else where you're like, well, I believe in Bigfoot and Sasquatch and this and that, but I don't believe in Chupacabra or I don't believe. What what kind of lines do you draw when it comes to the cryptid world? <laughs> my my beliefs in the cryptid world look like a gerrymandered county in Virginia. Uh, every some cryptids are in, some cryptids are out, some cryptids go in, then out. Some cryptids will never be in. Uh, it, it's so weird. Like I look at things like um, the Jersey Devil. Like I don't see how a, the Jersey Devil could ever exist. But for every story, and this story's been around for almost 300 years, for every story, there's a kernel of truth. So if it wasn't a uh, kangaroo, half kangaroo, half dragon creature, then what was it that they saw? There had to have been some sort of catalyst for the story. Was it a deformed deer? Was it, uh, you know, a Sasquatch? Maybe they didn't know what it was. So you kind of like peel back the onion layers and see where the truth nugget is in each one of these cases. Sometimes there's not a truth nugget. Sometimes it's a full out uh, fabrication, and then other times it's it's pretty obvious what you're looking at. Did that answer your question in any way, or did you want like specifics? No, no, no. That answers enough. I don't expect you to go through the whole list of uh, of cryptids. There's quite a few of them. <laughs> well, let's start. Uh, <laughs> well, I, let I me was ask- trying to do alphabetical, and I couldn't even think of it, a cryptid. Let me let me ask you this then: What is your favorite cryptid that most general paranormal listeners don't know about? Uh, usually I go with the Cadborosaurus on this one. And for some reason, I don't know why people don't aren't aware of this thing, but the, it's like a sea monster type creature off the coast of uh, Northern California, Oregon, uh, all the way up to BC and into Alaska. It's like a 30 foot long kind of eel looking with a horse face. Somebody actually recovered one of these from the stomach of a sperm whale in the 1930s, I want to say. And there's a photo online. You can actually look it up. It was sent off, of course, for uh, examination, and believe it or not, it disappeared, like we talked about earlier. Uh, but all these people swear up and down that these were whalers. They saw all this stuff. They had no idea what this creature was. It was decomposed, but they could still see enough of it to know that this is nothing we've ever seen before. And then things get a little stranger. There's a, a crab fisherman in Alaska that took a really good video of these creatures. I want to say this was maybe 2010, 2011. And he actually sold it to Discovery Channel, who decided they weren't going to air it anywhere. So finally, after a bunch of us wrote letters and stuff, they did do a documentary with the Hillstrand brothers from, uh, what's that show, uh, Greatest Catch, or Deadliest Catch. Yeah. And uh, they did show part of the video, but they apparently, from what I heard, all the cryptozoologists that actually saw the full video, they showed the worst part of it. So somewhere out there, there's a video of a Cadborosaurus clear as day just swimming around, and no one's ever seen it. So it's, the kind of thing just really frustrates me. But it's my favorite because uh, I think it's one of the most likely to exist. The Pacific Ocean is vast. Uh, you know, that area, it, there's tons of life. It's teeming with life. So to think there could be something living there that we just haven't seen yet, something rare that we haven't seen yet, it's entirely possible. And for me, that's you know, that's one of the front runners for, for the, the most logical and most uh, probable. I know this could be a loaded question, and it could be a very long question, but I'm going to get you to give me the short version. Let's say, I'm assuming, just from what I know about you, that you do believe in Bigfoot and Sasquatch. 
it depends on what day of the week it is. <laughs> I'll be honest. Some weeks that I do, some weeks I'm like, there's no way. But right. yeah, I, I, this week I'm kind of I'm kind of on the believer side. All right. So with that being said, what do you think it more than likely is? Is it an animal? Is it something that came in from a parallel universe or another dimension? Or is it an alien or some type of combination of the three? Which way do you lean? Well, for me, if if I'm going to say it's real, then I have to, to, again, peel the onion back and figure out what's the most logical thing for it to be. And in my mind, that's a race of humans or uh, similar to humans. I, I'm not an anthropologist, so I, I can't speak in those terms, but uh, you know, something closely related to humans, like, you know, like a Neanderthal or something along those lines, that managed to survive undetected, highly intelligent, uh, you know, well adapted to its area. So if you think of something that's incredibly smart, like a human, and it applies pretty much every bit of its knowledge to staying undetected, you know, the sky's the limit for that. I mean, think about what the military can do. Like, the sky's the limit for them, and they've created cloaking devices. I mean, we've had the Glimmer Man talk on our show several times. I don't know if you guys have, have mentioned that at all, but a lot of people think that's military. So, you know, if if they were living, I would say they're probably some sort of – relic hominid that uh, highly intelligent relic hominid that's just managed to stay undetected now I'll also add that if they are real i think and this is going to be very um but i feel like they have to live in small pockets maybe uh pacific northwest a few pockets maybe oklahoma maybe florida but places like pennsylvania ohio i just you know i don't see it if it's you know that kind of thing if it's something parallel something alien you know all bets are off. <laughs> well, we're going to get out of here, but before we do, you did send us two clips. I've got another clip, and you said this one here that came from Alan. Uh, I'll let you set it up as to what it was on, but you said it's one of your favorite clips. I want you to tell us why, and then we'll play the clip. Sure, sure. Uh, so, yeah, this is a clip from Alan in Arizona, and I played this back in season four, and I got a really good reception for it, but for me, it's really stuck in my mind, in the back of my mind, in his situation and seeing what he saw and seeing that more than once and then finding somebody that saw the exact same thing. I think the odds of that are astronomical, and the fact that he sounds believable tells me that maybe there's something going on here. So this is one of my favorites. It's just creepy. All right, well, let's That's listen. the best way to describe it. Let's listen to the clip real quick. Hi, Derek. This is Alan in Mesa, Arizona again. I was recently listening to episode three of season four and Caitlin's account of the uh, Skinwalker. I've had a similar experience living in Arizona all my life. This event happened in approximately 1990 on the San Carlos Indian Reservation in southeast Arizona. It was late at night. I had been to those car races in Globe and was returning home, driving down US 70 to Safford. It was about two o'clock in the morning and was fairly tired. I was only 17 years old and I was driving along and it started to slow down because I was getting sleepy. I just passed through the town of Peridot and I don't know, I had probably slowed down to about 40, 45 miles an hour. As I was driving along, I heard a tapping on the side window of my truck. Not thinking about it, I was concentrating on the road, 
it tapped again and then a bang. And I looked over and there seemed to be a person running next to me on the road. So it kind of freaked me out. I dropped her down the third gear and took off. Got down the road a few more miles. I kind of woke up by now. And as I went through the small town of Bylas, got past there, started getting sleepy again. So I began slowing down. And again, there was a tapping on my window and then a bang. Looked over and it was the same figure running next to me. It was a tall, pale man with red stripes painted on his body. And he was keeping pace with me, like I said, at about 40, 45 miles an hour. So I, again, switched gears and took off. With that being said, it I was driving through the San Carlos Indian Reservation, which is an Apache reservation, to reference Caitlin's story in the episode. And I got home, kind of freaked out, now wide awake. It's right around 2, 2.30 now in the morning. Talked to my dad, didn't really say anything to him about the situation, just that I got in late. Fast forward to 1993, I'm stationed in 29 Palms, California with the Marines and talking with my roommate, telling the same story. And he goes absolutely ghost white. And I said, what's wrong, Johnny? He had a roommate earlier that lived in Lordsburg, New Mexico, that drove the same route that I drove when he went home on leave and had the exact same experience only two years previous to that. So that would be 1991. So just like give a little bit of light on the Caitlin's experience and hope you like the story. I will call him back in more again. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. So that was Alan's call. And uh, now I can see where you're definitely coming from on that one. I can see why that one sticks out to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've heard other, I've received other calls that are similar of people talking about uh, seeing strange people run across, uh, run along the side of their car, you know, along the road. And there's actually a couple of videos on YouTube. Uh, if people search for them out, I, I couldn't tell you what to search, but they're out there. And these guys, their eyes are glowing. They're, there's eye shine in their eyes and it's super freaky. Uh, of course it's night vision. So it's, it's not paranormal that their eyes are glowing, but it's just the, the visual of all this. I think that guy was probably tweaking out on something, but uh, as for Alan's call, I don't know what that is. You know, that's skinwalker territory, a lot of people suggest that maybe that's some sort of uh, shaman or something practicing, you know, the skinwalker tradition. Or I, I honestly don't know, but I, I love that story. When I heard the like the running alongside and stuff, it kind of reminded me of the Beast of Bray Road stories uh, that yeah, we go on because yeah. you know similar similar you know chasing cars down the road and stuff. So yeah, and and those are the it, those are like the stories from like the seventies and eighties. Like my dad would tell me stories of. Of, of hearing about people being chased in their car by different things. And it just doesn't happen as often anymore. I don't, I don't know why that's changed, but you know, the seventies, eighties, that kind of thing happened a lot. Well, all I can do right at this point is say, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's been super fun. I've looked forward to this for a couple of months and it was uh, as fun as I thought it would be. Awesome. I, I appreciate you having me on. I don't do a lot of these, so it's uh, it's a little odd for me to get started, but once I'm going, I, I really enjoy it. Well, you got some other stuff going on. Obviously, one of them is teaming up with a, a friend of the show, David Flora from Blurry Photos. We're actually going to be doing a live event with uh, with David and, and uh, Historia 51 in uh, Chicago a little later this year. And uh, But you got an event going on, or a little uh, project, I should say, going on with, with David. Tell everybody about that. 
Yeah, we're actually looking to shoot a full-length documentary on a uh, window area that I, I guess I didn't discover, but people know about here in Southern California called Anza Borrego State Park. It's basically like a Mars-esque uh, mountainscape, like a desert landscape, and all these weird things, UFOs, aliens, dogmen. There's a like a species of Sasquatch that supposedly lives there. So we're trying to do a full-length documentary. We're going to Kickstarter this thing probably next month. We're not totally uh, sure when this is going to happen. We're still trying to put some pieces together. So, uh, you know, listen to either of our shows if you want to get information on that. And, and uh, hopefully we'll have that shot and out by this time next year. And obviously when you get ready and the Kickstarter program starts, let us know. We'll, we'll help uh, getting the word out on that as well. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. So how can, uh, obviously the show's Monsters Among Us. Uh, if you haven't listened, you need to listen. Uh, you find out anywhere podcasts are available. Where can they find out about uh, uh, Cryptid Crate and the other projects you might have going on? Uh, you can find CryptidCrate.com, and you can find uh, the social media for both Cryptid Crate, uh, Cryptid Crate and Monsters Among Us, basically anywhere, social media, Twitter, Instagram, and and uh, Facebook. Uh, what else am I doing? Uh, Paranormal Caught on Camera every Wednesday, I believe, at 9 p.m. on Travel Channel. You can catch that uh, season two just premiered uh, last Wednesday. So if you catch it now, you can watch most of the season. Awesome. Brother, thanks for coming on. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you somewhere down the road. And hopefully we'll run into you at one of these events, uh, one of these cons down the road. Sounds good. I appreciate you having me on. You tell uh, Tracy that I said hello. Absolutely. Tell your beautiful wife we said hi. Will do. All right. Later, Derek. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. Derek is always so much fun to, to talk to, so I can't wait till we hook up for another one of these events. Yeah, no, he is. He's such a nice guy. And it, it, if you could have seen that video he did with the hot sauce, him and his wife, it was so funny. <laughs> he was he didn't really have any trouble with any of them, but she was struggling from like the third one, and they had ten. Oh, so. I don't know how she did that. <laughs> she was she was struggling. <laughs> so anyways, guys, that's what we had for you. Thanks so much. I hope you guys enjoy all these extra episodes. Yes, we do. We love you guys. Thank you again. And don't forget, if you haven't already, to leave an iTunes review. It helps us more than you realize, and it doesn't cost a cent. That's exactly right.